0: there, and welcome to the Eat Your Greens podcast. I'm your host, Maya open and I'm here to deliver you your regular fix of greens through insightful interviews with experts and wonderful, passionate people in the field of environmental sustainability. Whether you are an expert yourself, or just looking for some friendly background conversation while you go about your day, tune in to these episodes to learn more about some current amazing people and initiatives tackling environmental issues. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear something you like and be inspired to take on a project of your own. Welcome to Eat Your Greens, the first step towards making a difference. Welcome to episode three of the Eat Your Greens podcast. I'm so, so excited to be speaking with Eugene Wang today, founder of Sophie's Kitchen, a company that produced the world's first ever plant-based seafood and produces alternative meat products and founder of Sophie's Bionutrients, a company based in the Netherlands, developing sustainable plant-based protein out of microalgae. Welcome, Eugene.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for taking the time as well to be here. My Um, pleasure. Since you're currently the CEO of Sophie's Bionutrients, would you like to start by sharing maybe your vision for this company as the founder and any current projects that you're working on?
1: Yes, so the vision of the company is actually quite simple. So we view even the plant-based protein today is suffering from a lot of the uh, 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 resourcing issue. You know, I mean, as we saw, the soy pricing index just recently just uh, went up, not just because of the war, not just because of all the input is uh, getting more expensive, but quite frankly. Number one, we're running out of forest to deforest and and make ways for the soy to grow more. And we are indeed in need of more from soy, especially the protein. And and on top of that, you know, soy still needs a lot of uh, water and wonderful weather. And with the global warming, it's just not helping. So we think the whole world needs something even better. And we believe that answer lies in microalgae microalgae has a lot of wonderful benefits, not just it, it, it can be grown more sustainable, uh, sustainably. But more importantly is the fact that you know when we're talking about new protein, a lot of time consumers and even food manufacturers, they're all looking at how can it be a healthier option than the protein that we currently have. Well, quite frankly, I can loudly and proudly say that microalgae truly is a lot, lot healthier than any of the plant-based ber- protein or even animal protein you can get in the market. Oh, that's one, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is It is the foods of the most uh, nutritious fish as well. So that's our vision for the company.
0: Great. And so, yeah, you mentioned that microalgae is... Um, more healthy actually than maybe some current food sources that we have. Um, So could you explain maybe a little bit more about that? Because I've done research about this topic and I'm quite interested in microalgae as the source, you know, for the future for many different things such as fuel and food and things like that. But for maybe for people who are less familiar in this topic, why, what makes microalgae such a good source, um, you know, a healthy source of protein and um, I don't know, other nutrients and In terms of sustainability as well, why is it so much better?
1: Right. So if you look at the supplement stores, you will find that there are a lot of supplements that are made out of microalgae. You don't see that many supplements made out of, uh, say, for example, yeast or possibly not even bacteria. Because people won't see bacteria as a <laughs> nutritious supplement source. Let me put it this way: and and mycelium or fungi is even not seen in the store either, you know. And so that tells you something. And why? Let me break it down for you. You know, so so <clears throat> a lot of people are p- probably eating omega three DHA and EPA, and the plant based source of these fatty acids are from microalgae. That's number one. Number two is uh, you, you may have uh, azazanthine or, or, or even lutein or sometimes even chlorophyll. And these are actually also a lot of times coming from microalgae as well. Now, last but not least, talking about protein, you know, <clears throat> the microalgae that we're studying, they have all the essential fatty, essential amino acids that you need uh, for the health of human body. Now think about that. You know, A lot of time we call plant-based protein today is not complete. A lot of time is because that they lack a lot of these essential amino acids. Essential amino acids are the amino acid that your body cannot compose by itself. You have to digest foods to access it. And so that's why we think microalgae truly is the most nutritious uh, future of the protein supply.
0: Awesome. And so In terms of other sources of of protein that we currently um, mostly use that would be, I don't know, like meats, um, fish, what do you think is driving unsustainability in, in those kinds of markets and how are you changing that by producing algae instead?
1: Right. So, you know, I guess it's pretty clear for most people around the world that the terrestrial animal protein is just never going to be sustainable. I mean, even for chickens. And I, I, I guess the reason is, is simple because that number one, these animals, terrestrial animals, number one, they need to uh, eat a lot of feeds, which the feeds need to be grown in a separate land, land slot. And then, and then on top of that, all the feed and the animals, they need a lot of water. And, and the space is another issue the 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 land space for these animals and the feeds are 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 quite frankly uh, uh, making um, the the arable land very scarce today, and so that's why the terrestrial animals for a lot of people is very clear that it it is not going to be sustainable down down the road in the future. Now, the arguments may lies in the seafood. Uh, you may possibly have seen sustainably harvested uh, seafood. Well, quite frankly, I don't think anything is sustainable today anymore, given the fact that, you know, the global warming and the pollution we have done in the water, you know, if we keep harvesting the fishes from the ocean and at the way we we, we're doing currently, you know, I'm pretty sure the the ecosystem, at least in the ocean, is going to have a big, big problem. Because why? just because we don't see anything in the water because we're not diving into the water to see, not like the terrestrial animal that they're just around us. So we can see it very clearly. And you cannot dive into the ocean to see what's going on. Doesn't mean that it it doesn't have any problem. And on top of that, you know, even aquaculture has a lot of its own issues. You know, the, the chemicals being used on these animals to keep them healthy, keep them efficient to grow is another issue similar to the terrestrial animal farming as well. And so that's why coming to our microalgae uh, uh, cultivation is, that, is the fact that microalgae can be grown in the outdoor open pond using photosynthesis process to harvest the light as energy source, or they can also grow indoor uh, like, a, a, like a beer brewery fermentation style and using sugar as their energy source to grow. And we're growing the microalgae indoor currently. The way we we have to do this is because that not only it is a lot more efficient, a lot, lot more efficient than the outdoor open palm, but also at the same time, the color, the flavor of the microalgae we grow will be very neutral. It doesn't come with the heavy color, heavy green or heavy red, or it doesn't have the fishy smell. And so that's why it is very suitable for the food manufacturing to use. And that's why we first. Uh, foresee the fact that we can use this protein to make a deep impact in the food industry and and, and make a tidal wave uh, for the whole world to change to a more sustainable source of protein. So that's why we think this is a lot better than any other protein options.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, because... um... Microalgae, as you mentioned, can be produced using um, non-arable land. I think it's a lot more water efficient as well, and um, as you've True. mentioned, also there's a lot of bioengineering methods um, to change kind of you know the protein yield or maybe the the fatty acid yield in the microalgae, and so it's a lot more of a controlled environment where we can control what we get out of it. Correct. Um, I like how you also mentioned um, there's. They can grow biomass by photosynthesis, but also by feeding on sugars. Um, and I I researched an interesting um, production site that actually um, was based on a cane sugar um, like farm. And so right. they actually fed the microalgae the sugar from the cane, um, the cane plants, um, but also kind of fueled the factory with the um, burning the biomass of the like leftover sugarcane. And so I thought that was a really interesting like circular process. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that um, in the microalgae field, which is something you're working on um, at Sophie's Bionutrients. So that's really interesting. Um, Going back to, you know, the, as you were mentioning, sustainable fish. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a big issue with governance as well uh, in terms of whose fish like who does fish belong to because they kind of just swim around and they go from here to there. (laughs) Um, So I think, yeah, there's a lot of issues of deciding, you know, um, or like splitting up the resources and deciding who's responsible for what and who's entitled to what. Um, And as you said, it's also difficult to see the effect of um, our consumerism on ocean ecosystems. And as you were saying that I kind of made a connection to, you know, agriculture um, on land. And I think, Mm One of, the thing, one of the biggest things um, or problems in the sector as well is huge um, inequalities in terms of like socioeconomic inequalities because a lot of our food is produced maybe in less economically developed countries um, and Correct. you know a lot of farmers are actually underpaid. And yep. so um, even for us as consumers, it's difficult to see this kind of inequality and to connect to the issue. So I think it's really important for that to be talked about as well
1: yeah you you brought up a very important point is that um, the 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 food supply chain that we have today it it looks pretty efficient on the surface, but down beneath there's a lot of exploiting just like what you mentioned that we don't see and 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 that's how these this big machine was kept functioning quite efficiently. Now when you take away those exploitation, you would then find out well, uh, quite frankly, it is not as efficient as it sounds or it looks. And, and so that's why we believe in the world that in the far, far future, my granddaughter or my great-great-granddaughter will look at the food that I'm eating today and say, wow, that's really primitive. Why? Because I believe the world will moving into a future that a lot of the things that's grown in the farm using labor, uh, is no longer existed. And, and then what's gonna be replaced will be something grown in the greenhouse operated by the robots. Or something similar to what we're developing or a lot of other startups are developing that a lot of the foods and nutrients can also be grown in a fermentation tank, in a bioreactor. So meaning that a lot of the products that we're going to eat in the future will be grown in a contained and a more controlled and automated uh, uh, system that will guarantee number one, no con- contamination, number two, guarantee the efficiency, number three, guarantee the quality, and number four, more importantly, guarantee the minimum input of labor. And and imagine a system like that a lot of startups are already working towards that growth and and i truly believe the system gonna be fully developed and kind of replace the the old-fashioned uh using a lot of land and an animal just manures everywhere uh kind of old-fashioned system will be replaced with a much cleaner much more efficient system like the one that i just described to you and that's what we believe should be the future
0: Right. And so in terms of culture, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. Um, Food and especially like meat and fish products can play a big role in um, a lot of countries' culture in terms of cultural Mm -hmm. dishes and um, even like agricultural jobs. I know, I mean, the entire world is kind of moving away slowly from um, dominance in agricultural jobs but there's still a lot of people involved in that sector and as you mentioned um, you hope for more efficient production um, which will require a lot less jobs and so in terms of in terms of those people that are um, currently involved in the agricultural sector and in terms of culture how do you see this shift happening?
1: Right that's that's a very interesting question that you brought up you know I I would I would separate the questions into two. You know. Number one is uh, the people involved. Now, you mentioned a very good point, is that there are still a lot of people involved in the production system of the current uh, of food or protein or whatever production system that we're seeing today. What happened to them? You know, what would what be the future for them? Well, then you know, you, you got to look at a lot of other industry. You know, say, for example, textile. We used to employ a lot of people in textile industry. Do you know how many people are still in the textile industry today around the world? Well, other than the poor countries, of course, You know, like, like Bangladesh or, or you know, um, some parts of India. You know. but, but even for that, I believe the labor we're gonna use in the textile industry will just be a lot less and less and less. I'm not saying that there will be absolutely no zero uh, no people or zero people uh, uh, planting the seeds in the in the in the land or, or still grow one or two animals here and there. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the majority of the foods that we're eating will be coming from a much more controlled and much cleaner system that I just described. However, you will still have people, um, you know, who are making the organic certified products who just want. The meat or, or or the crops coming from a soil, you will still have those kind of people growing those foods and supplying to the market. but I guarantee you that will be a very niche market because why in the far, far future, I think you can agree with me is that we're gonna have too much too many people we're gonna have too much craziness with our weather that the arable land left for these operations will be a lot, lot less. And because of the the sustainab- sustainability uh, goal that we set up for ourselves, these, oper- uh, these oper- operations will be limited also to a very tiny space. And so that's why I foresee those uh, supply, those uh, conventional way of growing food, that type of supply will be a lot, lot less. So those will be uh, for the people who are still interested. and But for the majority of the people, they're no longer interested in, in operating the so-called production of foods. Now, coming to the culture issue, that's another very interesting thing that you brought up. You know, I think I think the culture thing is something a lot of the people around the world strongly say, I will never give up my culture. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. when it comes to the culture, you know, they stick their for. Uh, into the table and say, I will never not do this. But quite frankly, I think you will see a gradual shift or gradual change around us already, which you just are not aware of. Let me give you one example. Uh, The supermarket that we're seeing today, even in the Netherlands, I went to any supermarket. I can easily find soya sauce. I can easily find tofu uh, in the store. But can I ask you, 20 years ago or even 30 years ago, can you find any soya sauce or any tofu in the market already? I guess not. That's my experience when I was in California. You know, possibly about 30, 40 years ago in California, it would be really hard to find just the soy milk uh, uh, in the supermarket store. Today in California, you can easily find 20, 30 different brands. It's everywhere you know, and, and so is tofu, so is the soya sauce, a lot of these Asian foods. Not just because there are more Asians around us, but because a lot of people from different cultures, they're eating different foods from different cultures as well. And I think this fusion of cultures will just keep happening. And although there will be still vari- uh, might minute variation happening in different pockets of the world that say for example people in Europe uh, tend to eat more bread and people in South Asia they t- tend to eat more rice although those ex- uh, variation will still exist but you will find that the flavor and even the source of the foods becomes a lot more uh, synchronized down the road in the future and so I believe culture still will play a role, but it will play a less important role in the far, far future that we're expecting.
0: Right. So those are some very good points. I'll go back to what you said first about um, you know, the whole world kind of moving away from agriculture. Um, right. And I think it's actually maybe, or I hope it'll be a good opportunity actually to remove inequalities in a sense that um, exactly. microalgae is kind of or like any similar, um, you know, alternative products that will come up might be produced under a more controlled environment. And in that way, it'll be easier to, or I hope so. And this is kind of a prediction, but I don't have data to support this. Um, (laughs) But I hope it's easier to control the inequalities and kind of, um, you know, move that that part forward um, and kind of moving the big chains away. So
1: they would... Yeah, I think it will. Because I mean, let, let me give you uh, my 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 hypothesis is that we, uh, based on the the technology technological parameters that we have, we foresee that down the road we can bring this protein down to just three euro per kilo. Now, three euro p- per kilo selling price. It it is almost identical to the soy pricing today, and on top of that, a factory to produce the three euro per kilo. Do not does not need to have a lot of people to operate it in. And when that three euro per kilo happens, we must have a scale already. The scale to sell and the scale for the factory. So we can easily set up a system like this, even in Africa. Now, I mentioned to you about this control and contain system. The reason why it has to be control and contain is it was exactly because the fact that number one all the pollutants will not be easily leaked out and pollute our environment. That's number one. And number two is that the control and contain environment can, you can then easily isolate any of the climate issues or the freshwater issues. You can recycle most of the water within the system. You just need a tiny bit of water input from outside from time to time. And you can harvest a lot of the renewable energy or possibly even a new energy source to keep it functioning. And so that's why I do foresee the fact that we can use this technology to erase the inequality from this planet Earth uh, someday in the not so distant future.
0: Yeah, and um, as you mentioned, it's a lot more um, easy to control, You know what goes into our food in these controlled environments. Uh, one of the biggest issues at the moment, especially um, in seafood is microplastic and how because the microplastic moves up the food chain, and our food is kind of just sourced from the ocean, it's difficult to control what goes into it. And so I guess factory produced foods um, are a lot more controlled and I guess healthier in that aspect. And that's something really interesting that I hadn't thought about. Um, And then going back to the culture discussion, I really like the idea of kind of creating a global culture. And that ties in a lot with what you were saying about being able to find, um, you know, different cultural foods in supermarkets across the world. And yeah, with globalization, as we all kind of um, mix around the globe and um, all live together in the future, Mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be kind of a shift towards a global culture. And so I guess it's just finding the balance between preserving heritage, which we don't want to lose, of course, and moving forwards. Yeah. Um, and so now I wanted to ask you, because you seem really um, enthusiastic about, you know, the potential of uh, microalgae and these kinds of technologies and supplements, mm-hmm. yep. what do you think are gaps that exist in the market right now for um, food and nutrition supplements and microalgae, and what, what do you think um, might happen in the future to address this?
1: You know, the number one barrier for any new thing is actually just people, you know, i think especially looking at our regulatory system looking at the government subsidizing uh, system to the conventional any farming animal farming or even agriculture looking at how the venture capitalists are directing their money towards uh, iot and not so much towards food and agriculture even though that's been changing uh, in the last few years since the pandemic, but still, I think that's not enough. you know But my point is is that looking at all the revolution happening in the past century or even uh, past decades, you will see that over and over some new uh, innovation always in the early days been hindered by the human who just cannot see the future of it. You know and, and and I believe that you know once we overcome these human hurdles, it will be a lot easier for the whole world to understand that this is truly the future of the protein and we 're working on it as well is that you know number one we 're trying to clear any of the regulatory hurdle, and I believe we have some uh, success already, and number two is that you know talking about microalgae. Okay, The number one difficulty, especially in North America, uh, and here in Europe, uh, it it doesn't sound as much is that in the the North American market for the consumers, when you talk about microalgae, the first reaction is, you want me to eat that slimy and green thing from the pond? You know, (laughs) that that was the first reaction to a lot of people that I talked to. So they, they thought of algo boom. You know, yeah. it's it's a natural connection. Unfortunately, and it, it happens a lot around the world today. Thanks t- again to our human pollution, human activities too much in the wild, and and then you know, especially with the animal farming, um, the manures, the the nitrogen we we put in the soil. When the water comes down, it just goes into the river and the lake, and that's how we create created the, the algal bloom. You know, but but then again, <clears throat> you know. It it is the natural uh, feedback, natural perception from the consumers, and and so we have to overcome that. And I believe, you know, by removing the color, color, so it doesn't look green anymore, it, it helps makes people not to associate with the algal boom and help them to make that cross and 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 then take that challenge to to accept this new protein as the future food. And so I believe, you know, if you talk about any barrier, the number one barrier will be always human. You know, it is because the human, the the, the government that, that's not making the regulation more friendly to you. It is the venture capitalists who don't understand this is truly the future technology who don't give you the money. <laughs> it is the consumers who are still thinking, associating it with algal blooms. So that's why no one want to buy it. So we have to overcome these barriers one by one. And I believe we're making some progress. And although it's small and slow, but we'll get there.
0: Yeah, and I think there's definitely um, a lot of uncertainty, especially as you said, in new fields. And when innovation comes along, nobody really knows what to think. And so I guess there's an aspect of um, you know education that has to happen and uh, transparency as well from um, companies that are moving this field forward. Uh, and I guess that's something you've worked on. You've been involved in a lot of media talking about, um, you know, your work. Uh, and I think something interesting as well is, um, as you mentioned, the presentation of the product and how that can kind of uh, convince consumers um, or ahead. you know encourage them into this field or into this market. Um, and it's kind of funny that we are our own problem. Humans kind of we get into our own way, but then right. we also have a lot of potential to be our solution and um, people like you working in new fields. And so I wanted to ask kind of on the entrepreneurial side, Mm -hmm. um, this can require a lot of courage and, uh, you know, belief in yourself and in this new product that people might not um, accept. So what drove you to start Sophie's Kitchen and Sophie's Bionutrients? And, like, you know, what kind of encouraged you along the way?
1: Well, the name Sophie... Tells you a lot of things, you know. I, obviously, I'm not Sophie. <laughs> you know, a lot of people look at the name and wonder, then, then, uh, how come Sophie's kitchen or Sophie's nutrient, It's a dude, <laughs> you know. Well, Sophie is actually my daughter. Uh, she's allergic to shellfish. Oh. I was, uh, I was looking for a way for people to get the nutrition from the ocean, but not through the animals. That was my original motivation, and plus that, you know. I was born and grew up in Taiwan, by the way. My family in Taiwan, um, we have been uh, four generations uh, Buddhism. And because of our religious belief, you know, a lot of the family members are vegetarian. And so we've been making vegetarian food or what we call the plant meat today for about three generations already. So that's why when I found out my daughter Sophie's allergic reaction to the shellfish, I used that inspiration to start my first venture in California called Sophie's Kitchen. So we're the world's uh, first uh, plant-based seafood company back in 2010, you know, that was like way before Impossible Foods and Beyond Meats uh, got big and famous 13 years ago or almost 14 years ago by the time I started uh, in 2009, you know. And so, so, so I started the business because of my daughter, because of the family, because of a very close relationship uh, with people. Not because this thing is trendy, not because I want to make some bucks, uh, although make money is still one of the motivation, but not the key motivation. that's what i'm saying and, and so so truly, you know my 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 drive for this is to make the whole world a lot better, at least for my uh great granddaughters or great grandchildren so 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 that's how I embark on the mission. I started my my selfish kitchen. A business. And then it's a B2C uh, consumer brand in the US and also Canada. And as you can imagine, you know, I have to deal with the consumers every day. And so that's why when, when it comes to seafood replacement, first thing consumers ask is that, well, seafood is healthy. Why are you creating a replacement? Then if you're creating a replacement, I want to know how is the nutrition stacks up against the real seafood. So that's how got me thinking I want to create a perfect seafood replacement. That's why we started to research into microalgae, and that's how this uh, new project of using fermentation technology to grow microalgae, um, which is self nutrients uh, was born. You know that's the whole uh, kind of history of it. But to tell <coughs> to, to to tell you uh, in a very short uh, sentences is that uh, you know the reason why why I started all these uh, ventures. Was because the fact that I, I don't want to just be a salary man. I don't want to just be a man um, that's not contributing anything to the world. I want to make my life meaningful. I want to uh, truly want to do something that makes people, uh, especially my my children or my grandchildren, know that oh this is the that's at work. This is my great grandfather uh, who create. The whole protein and make it possible to the world. I want to make my life meaningful, and and so that's why I embark on the mission to and, and started uh, the two ventures.
0: Wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I love that you've based it on upon your close relationships and um, you know really wanting to make an impact in the world. And I think it's great that more and more we're seeing this um, in the world with you know issues from all over the place. We've got. Cl- climate change, we've got inequalities, and there's increasingly people who, um, like yourself, who are working um, to make a difference. So that's, that's really beautiful. Um, And I like also this theme of kind of working together and supporting, you know, those closest to us and those in the future. And I think that's something that every company should be focusing on um, more and more. And so what kind of challenges have you faced, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, in starting these companies?
1: Well, the challenge, again, still relates to people. Like I just mentioned to you when you talk about what's, you know, it is always the people that's been the challenges that you have in anything you do. I guess a lot of time my vision is just too far ahead of a, a lot of other people. And so not a lot of people can understand or even agree with what I'm doing. And, and say, for example, you know, my parents, you know, they have a lot of hard time to understand what I'm doing and let alone supporting what I'm doing. And that sometimes really breaking my heart, you know, uh, but, but I, I don't blame them because I, quite frankly, you know, my, my father even said this to me because he was asking me, what am I doing right now? And I said to him, I'm, I'm using fermentation to grow microalgae. And then he said right away, "You lost me in that sentence right there." <laughs> <laughs> and so he doesn't even know what the heck is microalgae. He doesn't understand what fermentation, why is it associated with, with microalgae, you know? And So, so, so that's, that's a reality, not just with my parents, but, but also with a lot of people that I talk to. Is that I say, for example, a lot of the venture capitalists we're talking to, or a lot of the government agencies we're talking to sometimes they don't have vision. They, they just don't, don't understand why you're, why are you creating a, a, a seafood placement? Yeah. Well, why are you creating a, a microalgae as protein sources? You know, I mean, we, we have ample protein around, you know? And so, so it is always the people that is giving you the most challenges. And, and that comes to how you overcome the challenges is really the communication. And the communication today you just brought up a thing about you know how are we gonna how are we gonna uh, communicate this thing to the to the greater public. Yeah. Well, quite quite frankly, we we do have a lot of tools today that are at our disposal. The mobile phone in your hand encompasses all the super powerful tools that you need. <clears throat> the social media, especially um, the text messaging, the the instant messaging. <clears throat> Those are powerful tools for communication. And quite frankly, a lot of the new protein, the plant-based movement started today, actually back in the early 2010 or 2013, was actually thanks to these social media as well. Let me give you one example. I, I, I started SoftEast Kitchen, like I mentioned, back in 2010. The first two years was really were really quiet. I don't got a lot of inquiries. I don't have a lot of phone calls. I don't have a lot of inquiries from my website. And all of a sudden in 2013, inquiries and even phone calls coming in from any part of the world. I even got calls from UK asking for my product. But we're only available in part of uh, uh, the west part of the US at the time. As I was wondering, I was mind-boggling, well, how come all of a sudden people know about us? And then I, I asked a girl from Israel. He, she then told me that there are quite a few celebrities online promoting plant-based diet. And then a, few, a couple celebrities actually talked about our brand, our products, And so that's why they actively look us up. You know, this is a powerful story that tells you that social media, and quite frankly, should I say the technology that we have on hands today, will help us broadcast these positive information throughout the world quite easily. But at the same time, it is also these technology that is sort of isolating us from a lot of the things that we can tap into quite easily, especially those around us. So it is a sort of a double-edged sword, should I say. You know, There's two sides of the argument of the help from the technology. But I would say overall, information truly is a lot more efficiently distributed through these technology help, through these new technologies. And I would say that down the road, we can use the technology to resolve a lot of issues that we're facing today as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting um, that you mentioned technology as as a platform to share information. Um, Data is really, really powerful. And it's um, data sharing as well, especially among scientists. I know it's really helping um, with innovation. But also, as you mentioned, it's difficult to kind of manage um, our use of technology. And have you found any strategies uh, yourself for for balancing this use of technology? Or is that still something that you find um is challenging
1: i i think it is challenging at the moment i guess uh, a lot of people would agree with me yes definitely yeah. uh, you know like um the other day uh, i was i was driving out with my wife uh she she was the one driving and right away she 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 just pulled out her her smartphone and then start googling the destination that we're going to and trying to use the navigation i was like geez you, know, <laughs> you and i know where that is why, why are you still using your smartphone and, and she was like well that's easier i don't have to think you know? <laughs> and so 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 technology in a way is making us a lot stupider <laughs> you know? it, it, the smartphone is not making us smart anymore and I, I believe this technology is creating some problems around us. But with, it, is, it is just like with any technology. In the beginning, it may create some sort of problem. But down the road, I think, I believe the whole society will find a balance and trying to adjust these uh, uh, overdone uh, um, uh, intervention and and try to make it more uh uh, meaningful i think i think over time we will we will find a way uh to make the technology truly are helping us and not interfering with us but for now quite frankly technology (laughs) is is really uh doing quite a a lot of uh, havoc quite a lot of damages uh uh to our daily lives in in my personal opinion like my kids my Sophie, you know, she is, um, you know, sticking her eyes uh, to the mobile phone too much. And I I try to warn her quite a few times uh, every week, every day when I'm with her. But it's not easy. You know, there's just so many distractions coming out of that smartphone. And and it's hard, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. And especially because they're, the algorithms are kind of designed to suck us in. Uh, It can be difficult to, you know, uh, get away from that. That's right. But yeah, I think it's, it's um, very encouraging that you think in the long term we'll we'll figure it out and kind of get used to it and find some strategies.
1: Right. right.
0: Um, so kind of shifting towards um, yourself, you're mm-hmm. originally from Taiwan, I think you mentioned, and right. you, you moved to the US and are now in the Netherlands um, working right. on Sophie's Bionutrients. Yes. So did you find it difficult to kind of shift and live in different countries?
1: Well, I guess I guess I'm used to it. Uh, I mean, uh, you, can, you can hear from my accent that uh, you know I, I, I don't have uh, the Asian accent anymore, um, and uh, that means that I, I spend too much time outside, you know <laughs> and, and so 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 I don't find it difficult anymore. I, I honestly find it quite interesting, because I get to observe. The differences, the nuances in different parts of the world. I spent three years in Singapore as well, and and so in between California and and the Netherlands, and then and then the Singapore part, it gives me a pretty good picture about the whole world today. And quite frankly, I also travel a lot. Like I'm traveling to Oman next week, Middle East, and and so you can see that I I, I really kind of. Um, call myself a global citizen i think i think the 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 interesting thing is that you get to see the the differences and the commonality in different parts of the world and that makes you understand what's the trend is going to happen and what's what what were the trends been doing to our daily lives in the past and that kind of gives you a mirror that you can look into the future and say hmm this is possibly going to happen in the future and that's why i can give you those predictions because i guess i'm one of the very fortunate or unfortunate uh, people that have been traveling so much around the world and been seeing so many different kind of cultures experience so many different kind of cultures so that's why i believe i can truly say that i'm a global citizen that can speak of what i think the future will be and what are the solutions and what are the pitfalls that we have to know about our future you know
0: yeah very interesting and I think increasingly it is important to have this uh, global perspective um, because everything that we do is kind of you know working towards a global goal um, to an extent and so yeah having this understanding is um, really interesting and to an extent I believe technology helps this we can connect with people from all over the world and for the first That's time right. hear about what's going on you know with them and with their cultures and uh in any you know markets and things like that yep. um so i don't want to take too much of your time so we'll head straight to the last question mm-hmm. um and i'll I ask this to all the guests coming through this podcast in one to two sentences. What is your best advice for all the listeners um, listening here with us today for creating change in their communities, um, you know, kind of as you have started to do?
1: I would say, be true to yourself. Find your true self and do what is your true self. I, over the years, I, I saw a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, you know I, I like to use the word hypocrites, but, but then again it, it doesn't sound pretty. <laughs> but but then again that's how I feel about these people is that I I feel they are chasing the money. They're not chasing the dream or chasing a a goal, a, a just a justifiable goal, you know. I, I saw a lot of people just kind of following the big wave that's been created by the world. And then they don't know where they're gonna end up with i call these people they just don't know what they want to do they just don't know about themselves at all and so that's why whatever the world is telling them to do they will just do it you know so those are the people what i call the people without the soul the 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 thing that you you want for yourself sometimes is really hard to understand. I'll give you one example. You know, when I I actually had graduated with an MBA degree uh, uh, from the U.S., and then because it's a it's a full time MBA program, so everybody want to go to investment bank, and that was the thing I want to do when I was uh, at school as well. Because why? I don't know myself. I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> And 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 I just look at people and I said, okay, if that's what everybody is saying, okay, that, that, that possibly is what I'm going to do, what I want to do. And then I, I went to the Wall Street. Not even six months. I, I can't even survive six months. I hate it. You know, I hate the lifestyle. I hate what I was doing. Then I came back to Taiwan to join my family business. And I found my joy uh, with the with playing with the food with manufacturing the foods, with, with selling the foods. I found my joy. I found my purpose. I found my ambition and my goals. So finding your true self is not an easy route. It's not an easy mission. But you got you to gotta do it. You got to find what is really you, what is really in you that you want to be, what kind of person you want to be, what, what is the goal, what is the angle you want to make for your life and even for this world. And once you find that out, it will be very easy for you to success, to be successful in your career or in whatever you do. It will be very easy to find joy in whatever you do and even passion and even ambition in what you are doing. I think you can possibly hear from my tone of voice. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very passionate about what I'm doing. I wake up every morning very happily, very passionately that i have a really a mission driven business i really have a good thing to do for the world i'm doing the good thing for the whole world not just for my family so i'm that's why i'm happy to go to the bed every night and to wake up every day every morning and i was not like this before all these happened i, I was really dragging my feet to the bed dragging my feet out of the bed and, and that just wasn't good. So my advice to everyone is to find the true self of yourself and then make that happen. That's my two cents.
0: Thank you. That's really wonderful advice. I like this idea of look within yourself rather than look outside at what everybody else is doing. And, you know, know yourself, trust yourself and believe in your own goals and, um Yeah, I hope everybody um, listening on here can wake up and feel like they have, you know, a purpose that they enjoy uh, and something meaningful that they're working towards. So thank you for that advice.
1: Thank you, Maya. Thank you. Really appreciate the time you've given. And uh, hopefully what I'm saying here will make a lot of people do more meaningful work.
0: Yes. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eat Your Greens podcast. See you next time.